The following sermon is brought to you by ThePreachersVault.com, bringing old-time preaching to a new generation. Take your Bibles and open them with me to the book of Luke. When you get there, go to Luke chapter um, 17. Luke chapter 17. We're going to be examining here in just a moment Luke 17, verses 1 through 19. So as you're turning there, probably some of you already recognize the text, recognize the context, recognize the account of what is going on. Maybe others of you do not necessarily recognize it, but once you get there, you'll have like some of these uh, printings of the Bible do. You'll have a heading there at some point that tells you about what's going on and what's taking place in this. And in this case, you might find a heading that leads you to understand this is a context where Jesus is going to heal 10 men. These 10 men are all lepers. And you know the main brunt of the story, it seems, the way it's generally presented and the way we generally study it or examine it, it's the idea of gratitude or maybe in one case or in nine cases, ingratitude. Uh, it's the fact that whether or not they, they, meaning those 10 men, all were thankful. And you know the account. We're going to be reading it here in just a few moments. You know the account, and the truth is that they were not all faithful. Only that one was. And I say that because we're in a period of time, a season, if you will, of time when we ought to all be grateful for what's going on in our lives. Now, we've had difficult days, difficult years, it seems, for many of us, and especially as far as illness goes, that's evident, that's undeniable, that kind of thing. But still, you know as a child of God that we have much to be thankful for. And so it's been a few weeks, you know, Thanksgiving. Well, Thanksgiving on the calendar, I guess, has been about three or four weeks ago. I think it was yesterday. That's the way it felt, and here we are at Christmas or near about at Christmas. And again, those are times when many people stop and count their blessings. When many people review their lives, I do at least, review my life and see what, if anything, I'm actually thankful for and how I appreciate and approach that. So when I was thinking about Brother Durwood called, what was it, Friday night at some point, and he and I spoke in very broken English, and I mean that literally because our cell phones weren't communicating well, so I heard about every third or fourth word, and he probably the same. But when he called the other night, I immediately started to consider, you know, what is it that we might even speak about? What might we talk about? And again, gratitude for me, thankfulness, or the lack thereof came to mind. And as I began to look into that and research that, although I knew exactly where in the Bible I might go right quick, I wondered how I might consider it, how I might uh, view it. And I went to that favorite place of some of us, and that is Google. You familiar with Google? And I typed in a Google search. That's what we call it. I typed in a Google search these words, I am thankful for. And in a Google search, and you may not be familiar with that, or maybe you are, in a Google search, you can just stop like that, and it will give you suggestions. It will give you common terms, common searches that are used that can help to fill in that last blank. And so when I typed in the words, I am thankful for, I really just wanted to uh, bring about five or ten things to mind that I'm thankful for, you know, just get my mind moving and, and probably yours as well. But what I was surprised, um, shocked, and even in some stands, you'll understand when I explain this, disappointed in was what people are not thankful for or at least what did not come to mind first. 
because these things in these Google searches are put in order of most popular to least. And among that top group, at least, and I had to go much farther than I expected, but among that top group, people said the common things. You know, they said, I'm thankful for my family. I agree. They said, I'm thankful for my home. I'm thankful for my clothing. I'm thankful for my food. I'm thankful for, and they listed that out in many different ways. Uh, some were much more specific. Uh, one person wrote, and I 1,000% agreed, they said, I'm thankful that pizza was invented. I, I like pizza. Another talked about, uh, literally talked about, uh, and I just went blank, Five Guys Burgers. We've gotten one of those over in Oxford. They talked about five guys. And one person put, I'm thankful for Publix grocery stores. But anyway, that is basically the top things, not in that order, but the top things that I saw. Very generic on the one hand, thankful for my family. On another hand, very specific, thankful for Publix grocery stores. But what disturbed me, is how far I had to move that list and scroll to find someone who seemingly had more of a spiritual mind. Matter of fact, I've got the list. I didn't bother to bring it. I printed it out because I just wanted to have that. Here's the day. Here's the evidence. Here's what it is. I've got the list, and you have to go down to number 49. At number 49, someone finally said, I am thankful for my church family. And, and that was the first one out of anything listed, 1 to 48, that referred to anything I might even loosely call religious. Everything else was so secular, so self-consumed, so absorbed in the things that we have. Now, family obviously is a better one than that, but not normally, typically. It got down to number 49, and there it was. And then at number 50, at number 50, someone put, I am thankful for my transportation. And at 51, someone wrote, I'm thankful for Jesus. 51. And I cheered for 49, and I applauded 51, but I was saddened by the others. Because from 51 forward, you got down to 70-something. I don't recall. I, I stopped printing it at, at 75. But you got down to 71 until someone finally said, I'm thankful for the Bible. And I don't think that that would be the case. I know that would not be the case if we were just to approach one another. Of course, you'd know it now. You'd be loaded and ready. But if I would have just commonly and casually walk up you say what are you thankful for it's the season of thanksgiving and the season of, of, of what are you thankful for i honestly know and believe that we would get down to god a lot faster than the norm but it's sad that to some extent we may not and so immediately and it, i did this before i ever went to google google didn't have to tell me what my issues are and what my problems might be and and god's word certainly hadn't hidden those but I thought about it and I turned to this passage, Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse 11. Now, I would advise you to read up to that point. If you want to use Luke's account, you'll start Luke 1, verse 1. But if you want to get more immediate context, I would advise you at least to go to chapter 16, go back up to about verse 20 or 19-ish, and you can start to get an idea of where Jesus was, what he was doing. 
Read the first part of chapter 17, but get down to Luke 17 and 11. Here's what the text says. And it came to pass as he, that is Jesus, went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Now, that term, the midst of, doesn't necessarily mean he went into one or the other. It means he went through the borders of. Uh, that's not very specific, but we do understand and we will understand later that there's a divide, a huge divide between the typical person that lived in Samaria and how they were thought of and the average person that lived in Galilee and how they were thought of. And the divide comes down what had become a racial divide between the Jews and the Samaritans. And that's important in the account when you get farther down. But he comes through the midst of those places, through the coast or through the borders of. Verse 12 adds, and as he entered into a certain village. Now, King James speaks for the word certain is backed up by a Greek word that could literally be translated typical. Okay? So Jesus doesn't even name the village here. God doesn't choose for that to be inspired to be written. But it does mean literally the idea of a typical. There are other times when Jesus encounters people like lawyers or scribes, and a lot of times it'll say the certain person did this. That means typical, just the average. But he came into a certain village or entered into a certain village, and there met ten men that were lepers which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show thy soul yourselves unto the priest. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. That's the key word we might mention later. Verse 15, And one of them, when he saw that he had been was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down at the face, uh, fell down on his face at the feet of Jesus, or at his feet, giving him thanks that he was a, and he was a Samaritan. And Jesus, verse 17, answering said, were there not 10 cleansed, but where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. That's the key word we may or may not get to. Going on verse 19, to kind of close the context. And he said unto him, arise, Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. So you're familiar with this. Uh, my children, and, and this has been my older ones growing up, knew it. My younger ones already are aware of such. This account right here is exactly what it sounds like. It's the healing of ten lepers. It's the idea of the one that returned. And it's the big question on Jesus' mind in the moment, and that is where are these nine? Where do the others go? Where's their gratitude? Where's their thankfulness? Where's their appreciation? Where, in this case, you could even add to that, where's their worship? Where is their uh, reflection on me as God and their understanding of me as such? Let's talk about the context just a little bit. Break it out just a little bit. Number one, I want you to realize there was what I would call a contemptible crowd. Now, by using the word contemptible, the idea is they're really, they're pitiful. These men, all of these men, all ten of these men, they're pitiful to some extent, and that is they, in their society and in their day, they not only had much pity placed upon them, they probably, to a point, deserved it. This contemptible crowd, these men, these are listed out, verses 11 through 13, it tells about them that they were encapsulated, basically, covered completely in a disease called leprosy. 
Now, you and I have, I know, time to time as Bible students, we don't encounter this personally every day, obviously, but as Bible students, we reflect on that, we consider that, maybe we do some digging, we do some research, we try to understand, try to grasp uh, what it is that leprosy was and how it uh, showed itself and all. But I'm going to give you a little bit of detail about it. I'll try not to be as graphic, but I want to be just graphic enough to catch my attention and maybe yours. If someone had been, uh, um, if you will, uh, befallen of leprosy, Basically, the first sign that that was going to take place had to do with their skin, right? It had to do with their skin. And generally speaking, we know this because there are still lepers that exist, albeit limited numbers and all, but there are still those that exist. Basically, their skin would get kind of a whitish, kind of a a crusty, kind of a, a flaky look to it. That might be the first sign that someone would see outwardly that someone was leprous. But generally speaking, before that, and this is really the far worse part of it that I did, I wasn't aware of until I kept digging and digging and digging through the years and trying to examine it. Generally, before the skin would begin to show any signs, the person would become aware of it because he or she, their fingers will begin to lose feeling. Now, some of you I know or, or would assume are diabetic or something of that sort, and you've gotten to that place where there's some neuropathy and all, and, and your feet, your uh, fingers, your toes sometimes, your feet, different parts of your body will start losing feeling. But what would happen to them on the inside to begin with is they would start losing feeling. They would get to where they couldn't sense. They couldn't, they couldn't discern between something that's hot or something that's cold. And that within itself, before what we understand about the disease at its later stages, was actually the worst part of it. Because when they were without feeling, they would generally get into trouble. I heard of an account, this is a modern account from about 30 years ago, or read of this and all, and it was talking about a little boy. A man walked up to a building one time and was trying to get into this outbuilding, and he put, he put his key into there, the master lock. The thing was kind of rusted, kind of corroded, and he tried to get in. He couldn't get it undone. He twisted, he turned, he pulled it. He just couldn't get the key to work, couldn't get it to be undone. And this was at some place in, in Africa. And this boy come up who was leprous. And, of course, he was there as a missionary and, and knew this was the case. This boy come up who was leprous and said, let me try. And it said that he grabbed the key and with, without even any effort, just twisted the key, popped the lock, and he stood back and he thought, how is this frail, sick, pitiful boy, how is he at all able to open this lock? And then he looked down and saw the blood on the ground. And he realized he was able to do it because he felt no pain. That key had cut his finger completely off, but yet he opened the lock. That's the type of thing. Now, that's the onset. They would, they would get without feeling, without sense. From that point, they would get that skin that began to flake, began to fall. But in the later stages of this, it would not only affect the outward man, but get to the inner man. It would affect their organs. Their organs would begin to shut down because everything that you could see visually going on the outside, which included literally limbs just falling off as they walked, literally included and particularly often affected the face and the nose and the lips would fall from their face as if it were candle wax. That's the type of things that we'll, that they dealt with. And we know from reading the New Testament and this account and others where Jesus healed lepers and, of course, reading the account, if you go back and you can jot this down for later, Read the, or read the record in Leviticus chapter 13 and 14. This disease was so severe that God actually gave two chapters, as we read it, 
of a record or, if you will, a prescription on how to deal with it, what to do with it, how to avoid it, and in some cases, toward the end of that, even how to determine if someone had by chance been healed by it. But that within itself was rape. And so these men, when you consider their pitiful condition, their their contemptible condition right here, first of all, you have to consider their disease. Number two, in this account, just looking at the phrase, and you go back and see it there, it says he went through those coasts, and uh, these men came on him, uh, verse 12, and they entered into a certain city, and he met them there, men that were lepers that stood afar off, and they, that is these men collectively, lifted up their voices and said to Jesus, watch this, Master, have mercy on us. So what do they know about their disease? Well, what they understand already is that they need someone, we'll specify that in a minute, but someone, whomever it is, to show mercy on them. They needed someone to be concerned. They needed someone to care. They needed someone to see them for something besides what they obviously were visually, and that was leprous. Remember, according to Leviticus 13 and 14, and and knowledge that we understand, these men or women or children or whomever had been cast out of their cities, had been separated from the people, not just by the command of men, but literally by the command of God. They had lost anything and everything in their life, and they were losing in the present, losing their physical limbs and their lives. And these men, what they say unto Jesus is, have mercy on us. Now in this, I would say they're distressed, not just their disease, but they're distressed because the phrase here goes and reads again, and they lifted up their voices, which by the way, leprosy often very immediately because it got to the faces and all, got into the throat, messed up the vocal cords and such as that, the larynx, whatever it's called. They probably, most cases, could not talk nearly as loud as I They could not, in most cases, have cried out or yelled out, and other lepers that Jesus would heal would do similar. They could not have done that on a typical average basis, but they were desperate. And so they got together and they lifted up their voices and they collectively cried out and it even goes on to explain to us that when they did that they said first of all jesus that's good all of these men all 10 saw jesus as who he was and you say what does that mean that's his name jesus right it is his name but what did his name mean if they understood it for that i'm just making a jumping assumption that may be possibly quite even in in an inkling they may. Well, to say Jesus, they were according to Scripture, Matthew 1, 18 to 25, saying Jehovah saves. So they knew him by some means, how in-depth I cannot tell, by who he was. But the next word proves they not only knew who he was, but they knew something about what he was. Well, you say, "I'm, I'm looking at it. It says it right here. Jesus Master, verse 13, have mercy on us. That word master is only used in your New Testament by one New Testament writer. And I mean by that not the word M-A-S-T-E-R in English. I mean the original Greek term is only used by one New Testament writer. His name is Luke. And is only used in this place. Of course, Luke wrote Acts, penned the book of Acts. Only used in the book of Luke by Luke. And the term always implies 
a supreme authority. Now, we use the word master. Don't use it as commonly today, but you might say that. I just mentioned a master lock. What is that supposed to mean? That's probably supposed to be the best of the best. These men who were standing back here with leprosy, struggling with all they did, they looked at Jesus, and the first thing they did is said, Jesus, master, the one who has the authority, have mercy on us. Now, chronologically, this is not the first healing of a leper Jesus had done. So it is at least possible that they could have had knowledge that Jesus had the ability to do something with this. But the term, again, that Luke chooses, or that God chooses for Luke to pen, is a term that means the supreme authority. That is, there are no other options. There are no other ways. They had gone to no one else. Now, biblically speaking, what were they supposed to do with leprosy? Leviticus 13, uh, 12 and, what did I say, 13 and 14. They were supposed to go and show themselves to the priest. But that was only for the evidence, one, that someone was sick, or on the return case, which was rare, the evidence that someone was healed. It was not because the priest could do anything about it. The law stated in general that the only thing the people could do about it was to cast these others out. And generally speaking, and we find this not here, but in other texts, you'll remember, uh, they're generally supposed to keep themselves at a distance. Biblically, that was 100 paces. Generally, they're supposed to, if they do say anything, to cover their faces to do so, like a mask. And their general thing, the only thing they generally said, it's a lot of generals, I guess no sergeants in this, was unclean. It was for the safety of all around. But these men said, Master, the only one with authority and ability have mercy on, again, still that pronoun, us. He'll help us. Do something for us. You keep reading about this crowd, though. Verse 14, and when they saw this, they said unto him, or he said to them, Jesus, go show yourselves unto the priest. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. Because you see in this account at least, there's not only the contemptible crowd, there's the compassionate Christ. Because when they approached Jesus, they went to the right place. But when they approached Jesus, Jesus turned and answered them. Now again, in other healings of this, Jesus actually touched the leper. He actually put his hand on one, allowed them to touch him. That's not something that's generally done. Matter of fact, it was something that generally was prohibited. Somebody asked about Cliff Goodwin a while ago, and I don't tell this to, to praise Cliff, but I tell you, it's the, the only physical similar thing I've ever seen. Cliff Goodwin was visiting a nursing home one time. I you know, was with him. And there was a, a lady there that was suffering with something. I know not, I don't know exactly what it was. I know she had cancer. And I know the cancer had somehow, didn't know this was possible, but somehow maybe it was a skin cancer, had, had basically eaten away her neck. And the room, or the hallway, I should say, leading up to that room had a smell, a stench, a death smell to it, to me. And when you round the corner, this wound that typically when we would see her would be covered, at this point they were changing the dressing and it was open and it was there. And, and we're passing by the room. Cliff was familiar with this lady. At the time I didn't know much about her or anything about her. We're passing by the room. This lady called out, hollered out to Cliff. She called him Brother Cliff. 
Don't know what her relationship was to him. But he looked in the room and he saw her and he stated her name. And we're, we're right at the door. The door's open. The, like I say, the stench is in the hallway. And he walked in the room to speak. And he walked up to her. And he leaned into her. He hugged her. And I remember the moment I had. Not putting him in any wise like this. Just a physical example. That's the type of a love it would have to take to approach someone in a condition here, leprosy, that is far worse. But Jesus in this account doesn't even have to do that. Others he does. But it tells us about this compassionate Christ when he saw them. So to me it reads like he heard them first and then he saw them. Not like he looked across and saw the lepers and said, watch this, watch, maybe his disciples are there, watch this, uh, look, they're fixing to call my name. He would have known such or could have known such. But when he saw them, it said, he said to them, go show yourselves unto the priest. And it came to pass that when they went, they were cleansed. You know, I've often wondered, we know what the, as Paul Harvey called it, the rest of the story is. We know what the result was. We know what Jesus actually had done in that he healed them. But it, it, it's, it's, it's puzzling to me that it doesn't have to say Jesus healed them. Not in the beginning of that phrase. It doesn't have to say Jesus' response was not, I should say. It, his response was not to them immediately. The terms, when he saw them, he was, when he, I got to back up. I keep jumping ahead of myself. I'm in verse 14 where I need to be. And he said to them, go show thyself the priest. He didn't say you're healed. Now that's understood and would be understood, but maybe not even been the case that moment. Go show yourself to the priest. Why would these men go to show themselves to the priest? According to Leviticus 13 and 14, when you read the process of that showing yourself to the priest, that was an eight-day process. You know, I thought about it like, you know, you go to the doctor, what do you really want? You really want to walk in, walk out, get your prescriptions or whatever needs to be done, get your advice and go. This was an eight-day process. If they went to the priest, they would have to, first of all, make their way into one of these villages that had a priest available, make their way to the priest, approach the priest, I guess get some kind of special permission to do so, and then for eight days, he would watch over them and continue to check them. Some of you have had COVID tests. How often did they want to do that? You know, uh, But would continue to check. And if you were positive, meaning he found evidence of leprosy, guess what happened? Go back. Only one day maybe to try for another eight days or another or another. So Jesus says, go show yourself the priest. Now, I'm saying that to give credit to not one man, but ten. Because what did all ten do? According to the account, they, they went. They at least started in that direction. But he says, go and show yourself to the priest. And it came to pass. How many of Jesus' miracles were immediate? I mean, just mm, the vast majority. I don't, I'm not in denial that this one wasn't as, it's certainly as impressive. I'm not in denial that this one was immediate, but the text reads as if it were a process. I don't think it took two weeks. I don't think it took, you know, four days. But it happened over the process that they could see it because it says, and as they went, 
not as they turned, as they went. So at some point they go, they were cleansed. Now the Greek word for the word cleansed right here means they were found absolutely clean, cleared. No sign, no symptom. And I named about one out of 25 of the major symptoms of lepers. The skin, the falling limbs, the, the uh, insensitivity to pain, the raspy voices, everything was gone. Everything was better. Now, that's impressive. I'm, I've, I've done construction on and off through the years and worked in the cabinet industry for most of that. And it's, it's impressive to me that I've got all of those, the whole ones. But I've got good friends that do not. It would be, it's impressive when someone cuts a finger or cuts a limb and they go in, they get it stitched up, maybe they get it reattached or, you know, maybe it just heals as best it can. I've got a good friend that has most of their finger but no fingernail, you know, that type. That's impressive enough. But this was not that. This was if they were completely cleansed, meaning completely healed, that these limbs grew back. These noses came back. Everything about them was good. It's not just a mild improvement. Not just the, well, you, you know, your fever's gone down a bit. <laughs> they are healed. And so the text leads us that as they were going, as they went that way, and one of them, verse 15, one of them. Now this gets us into another level. We've not only got that contemptible crowd, we've got the compassionate Christ. Now we're finally down here getting down to the completed cure. All of them have been cured. But it says one of them, verse 15, when he saw that he was healed, key word or key part of that word is the E-D on the end, healed. He, he witnessed it. Turn back. And with a, and I've underlined this in my Bible because I've not underlined it before, with a loud voice. So he now has an ability that likely he did not have. He is now running solo when he would have been in a group earlier. But it sounds with a loud voice. What did he use that voice to do? He glorified God, fell down on the face at his feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. So this group here, all of which had a completed cure, the one of which returned. And what did he do with that? Well, it says he cried with a loud voice. We just mentioned so. It says he fell down at his feet. That is a po position, at least, of worship. And I put that back together with two other terms in the previous text. They first called him Jesus, Jehovah saved. Then they referred to him as master, specifically saying, you are the only one. And now this man falls down and it says specifically that he worshiped. Now, I'm going to give the other nine benefit of a doubt. Supposing they're going to the priest. You know, they've been healed somewhere along the way. They all see it. They all recognize it. They're headed toward the priest. Maybe, just maybe, one or two or three, or I don't know how many of them might have thought to himself, well, when I get to the priest, I'll logically find the priest in the temple of the synagogue, and, uh, you know, there, I'll, I'll, I'll worship God then, and I'll get around to that there. The problem is, we read this in Bible class a little bit earlier for other reasons, 
Jesus had already specified that the day had come and was coming and had come in which they worship not in Jerusalem. They worship not in temples made with hands. The presence of God was around them. And in this physical case, the presence of God was before them. This man knew it. He had Jesus. He could go back and he could make that journey. However far out he had gone, I cannot tell. But he could fall at the feet of Jesus. And he could worship him. He could bow down to him. And it says this, he glorified God. And then Jesus answering said, were there not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? If you look at the, the English language, the way the King James at least uh, orders the words, it says, but where are the nine? The literal language says the nine are where? That's, you know, I just only mentioned that because that's a little bit for us, that's almost a little more sarcastic. It's a little more emphasizing that Jesus' question to this man was, were there not ten cleansed? And before he could answer, Jesus said, the nine are, where Where else should they be? What else is appropriate? What are the other options? This is where these men were. Then we have here a grateful man who Jesus brings out within not him, but within his friends or at least his associates, a grim understanding. And that is that the majority are not thankful enough to worship. I've missed that. This is a discussion, an illustration by our Lord of what gratitude looks like. It's also an illustration of the other side of that coin of what gratitude or ingratitude looks like. But the expression of the gratitude or the lack thereof is specifically mentioned in how this man came there to worship and how this man had fallen, verse 16, at his feet and giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And the reception, or at least the gift that he received as a result, verse 18, and there are not found. So you can't find the men that returned to give glory to God, save this stranger. Now it's already mentioned him being a Samaritan, verse 16. But when Jesus says this stranger it brings to, to light and to reality what this really is. The word Jesus uses here that's translated stranger basically describes him as with or without the disease as an outcast, as an outsider, as someone who wasn't typically assumed to be there. Who were these men? Jesus had gone on the coasts of Galilee and Samaria. He has returning to him at least this Samaritan in one. So we know his case. We know his background. Where were the others? Who were the others? Possibly, potentially, some of which were Jews. Some of which could have been and should have been at the forefront of the appreciation and the worship that Jesus deserved. So that's what we have. That's an examination of the text. What's the application? You can close your Bibles if you'd like. What are the things that I need to do? Because this, this right here, this is an account of a miracle. Uh, out of the five miracles that Luke records, John records seven, Luke records five different numbers, there were hundreds that were done. John tells us that if all the things that he had done were recorded, even the, all the books of the world could not record, the world itself wouldn't hold. So he'd done more. But of the miracles that Luke records, this is the most prominent. This is the, 
The wine is spreading. You know, those men, even the one, the nine, the nine, who went to the priest, guess what they had had to do? And I love the way this borne itself out. They did have to go to the priest. The priest hated Jesus. For the most part, they denied Jesus. And now they've got lepers, former lepers in front of them that are absolutely, positively healed. And for eight agonizing days, they've got to look at these men that were healed with these men reporting Jesus did it. Jesus did that. And they have to, we would call it today, write up a report. In order for a leper to return to population, the priest would have to observe them for eight days and then present them before the city. What was they going to say? Is this a lesson about gratitude and ingratitude? Yes. Is this a lesson about who has all power? Oh, for sure. Both in these men and probably and most likely for all who witness. Great miracle. But what did they have to do? I'll give you three things. Just, just hold in your mind. You can get your songbooks out. By the way, the song of invitation falls right into this, right? Is it come to Jesus? Something like that. That's what these men did. What we all must do. These men had to recognize their disease. They did so. First step for any of us. These men as well had to realize their dependence. Where else could they go? And only then could these men and should have remembered their deliverance. You see, one of the things we haven't emphasized that comes into that last verse that we read there is what Jesus said to the man who returned when he says, Go, he said unto him, Arise and go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee whole. The word whole right there, and I don't understand. I'm not a translator. I'm not arguing. I happen to be using the King James. Uh, I'm not promoting or putting down or either side of that. The word whole, W-H-O-L-E, is translated in so many other spots, even in the same translation as the word save you. This man got a lot more than he bargained. Remember our deliverance. If you're here this morning and you're not a child of God's, then the truth is, and the application of this might even be assumed to be, the truth is that if I'm not a child of God's or if one is not one, that they've got a disease. That disease is sin. You know, great account of a great miracle, but I think within this almost a parable of sorts because leprosy was a parallel in representation of that which is sin. Begins on the inside, takes away sensation and feeling, and then finally, outward exposes itself in a most pitiful, putrefying, visual illustration. And oh, that's so similar to sin. But knowing our issue, knowing the sin that I have, I come to the Lord because He is the only source of healing, the only deliverance. And then standing before Him in appreciation for self. If you're here this morning, the heaven's invitation is always open.